Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Hey, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so psyched to be here for this final part three of my Bumbershoot Arts and Music Festival series of in-person interviews that I conducted at Bumbershoot Music Festival in the shadow of the famous Seattle Space Needle at the Seattle Center. It took place over Labor Day weekend, September 2nd and 3rd. This episode features interviews with George Gakus of The Revivalist, Cassandra Lewis, and the Irish band Modern Love. All amazing conversations and interviews that I'm so psyched to be able to bring to you for your listening pleasure. This is also the last episode of this season of Roadcase, and we'll be back after a short break for more amazing interviews, longer interviews with uh, with artists that um, that I'm so psyched about. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I am really psyched for the upcoming season as well. If you're here for the first time to listen to part three, welcome to Roadcase. If you're a long time or returning listener, I'm so psyched to have you back. This is a really great one. There's a number of different ways that you can get involved with the Roadcase community. Really quick and easy ways to follow us on the socials. We are at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch with me, uh, you can send an email to me with questions, comments, concerns. Uh, just say, hey, I'd love to hear from you and hear what your thoughts are. Uh, my, in, my email is info at roadcasepod.com. And if you'd like to find out more information about the show, you can visit our website, www.roadcasepod.com. Another great way to help support Roadcase, super easy to do, and we do rely on the support of you amazing listeners. So if you can follow Roadcase on Spotify or on your favorite listening platform, that would be most awesome to do it. It's super easy on Spotify from the Roadcase homepage. There's a little box that says follow. Just click on that uh, on Apple Podcasts. Up in the upper right-hand corner at the Roadcase homepage, there you'll see a check mark. Just click on that. Doing so on both those platforms and other platforms will allow you to receive updates when new episodes come live. Uh, another great way to help support Roadcase is to rate and review Roadcase on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Spotify, just underneath that follow box is a box with some stars. Just click on that. It's as easy as doing that on Apple Podcasts. Uh, just go back to that Roadcase homepage, scroll up a little bit. You'll see some stars and a place to write a review. You know what to do. So for the first interview of this part three, final part of the Bumbershoot Arts and Music Festival interview series is George Gakus of The Revivalists. The Revivalists have a new album out. It's entitled Pour It Out Into the Night, uh, and they were just on the cover of Relics Magazine. They're also on the final leg of this North American tour. They've been out during their first leg with the head and the heart, and now they're out co-headlining with Band of Horses and just completed that leg with an amazing show at Red Rocks. They're then heading to Europe on October 19th. They'll be in London, Paris, Berlin, Amsterdam, and Hamburg. 
Bloomberg. Um, they'll also be at the Big River Get Down. That's just uh, takes place this weekend, this coming weekend, September 22nd and 23rd in Hamilton, Ontario, which is just outside of Cincinnati. Uh, any of you in that area should definitely head over to that one. George is uh, George grew up in Connecticut. Um, he uh, we spoke basically at um, while the band was uh, currently kind of at the tail end of their North American tour. Uh, George lives in New Orleans. Uh, he's a family man. And we just had a really, uh, really great conversation. Good vibe. Really enjoyed talking with George. We really we really hit all um all the buttons on this one. Um, really excited about being on the cover of Relics. And uh, he's just, uh, he has just a real energy about him. Uh, he loves to chat and have a really good conversation. And we just had a really nice vibe. We chatted about kind of the development of the band, where it's come from, uh, and uh, what the pandemic kind of meant for a band that's kind of getting older with some, uh, some of the members have uh, families at home and kind of what that looks like going forward and how that sort of organically created a new atmosphere or, you know, a changing atmosphere, everything's sort of evolving uh, for everyone as they move forward with their own music careers. And George has a lot of interesting things to say about that. He's just a really great guy. And I was really excited to be able to chat with George. And we just had a, we just totally vibed. It was really, really fun. I know you really enjoyed this interview. I want to thank George again for sitting down with me at Bumbershoot for this amazing interview. I'll be back after this interview to chat a little bit more about George and to introduce my next guest, Cassandra Lewis. But first, here's George Gakus of The Revivalists. George, great to have you on the show, man. Thank Thanks for, for being here. Me. Yeah, you're famous now. You're on the cover of Relics Magazine. What the fuck? It's kind of wild, man, to think that growing up, me and specifically like Zach and a little bit of Ed, we definitely had a strong affinity for the, the jam scene and the culture growing up in the uh, the wake of the wetlands days, you know. Yeah. I grew up in Connecticut. He grew up in New York. Oh, so cool. just yeah. that whole scene and where we're from is huge and always has been. Yeah. And one of the first things that ever happened, we got on a relic CD sampler. This is bad. I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to, no, they give, still put the CDs yeah, in the magazine, which is don't reveal that you don't listen to get the magazine, George. How many people can actually get the magazine still though? I've been subscribing okay. to it for years. Right. Well, you're such a great advocate. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the first time yeah. we were ever in it, we were so excited because just to be in included it. in something of that like stature and then to finally get the cover, it's just, it's awesome. We it's amazing. Got to send a lot of thanks to Pete. He's always been in our corner, Pete Shapiro. Yeah, so. of course, Pete. Yeah, yeah, I had Pete on the show. We talked about wetlands. I used to, yeah. I went to NYU and did grad school. Oh, nice. So I was in uh, from 88 until 88 till 99. I was in New York. Yeah. But in those early 90s days, seeing the dead at Madison Square Garden, mm -hmm. going up. Went to Wetlands. You're probably too young to have been to Wetlands. I was too young. You know, yeah. I was a freshman when not in high school when 9/11 happened. So I know that was kind of the like the end of that. I it was in Tribeca, well, Wetlands right? End before that, yeah, well, was right it, at the yeah, northern yeah, yeah, tip yeah. of Tribeca. So, but uh, I would have. I heard so many stories. It's tall tales now. It's legends. I know it is Wetlands. legendary. And the amount yeah. of bands that came through there 
that have become stadium bands, you know, arena yeah, bands, totally. amphitheater bands. It's, it's awesome. so funny, like venues that don't exist anymore, are almost more legendary than those that do. Maybe yeah. it's just like yeah. the lore yeah. starts to exceed what actually happened. But in Wetland's case, there it was really instrumental for so many different reasons, not to mix metaphor. Whenever I say instrumental on my podcast, it's okay. I always have to say no that. No worries. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, heard, you, I've heard worse puns connections i so. wasn't trying to do a pun but i gotta think, think of a better word than instrumental key key, key or important or yeah. yeah this is now the synonyms podcast yes uh where'd you grow up george i grew up in a city called milford connecticut which is right outside new haven and i yeah the, you know like growing up i'm trying to think of the only relative famous person music wise from that area is michael bolton which <laughs> and you yeah little little different but <laughs> at that point in time this was when i was young young yeah that was the only person i knew that had pursued a career in music and gone on to great heights but you know when i was in high school we started hearing about this guy john mayer yeah and he started to explode and become his own thing and and obviously now you have the guys in goose who are from yeah john mayer i didn't know he was from connecticut he grew up in a town called fairfield yeah actually yeah he spent and the third on this list is goose is goose for yeah. you yeah i'm just saying i'm trying to think of connecticut bands off the top of my head or people yeah from so that am area. I. it's not it's many like, yeah. Yeah. yeah they just usually just go to new york or, or go somewhere else Right. Still technically like a bedrock community in Manhattan. I grew up 50 miles from it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole sure. yeah, you just do like a three hour radius around tri -state, Manhattan, tri-state yeah. area, baby. Yeah, um, yeah. Wow, goose. So you fall, you fall. We just talked about the uh, the relics, the the days between. The, yeah, you said you were out with your with your wife. And, yeah, and then that I saw Dave play at. Um, uh, he he, uh, he sat in with goose. He sat in with them and did uh, no rain. I think. Yeah, the blind melon cover. Like, yeah, I want to say it was like great, it was, uh, combo it was of either and song. It was either like the the anniversary of the death or the birthday of Shannon Hoon. So I think there was some reason oh. that they actually did that specific song. Some and Shannon had spent time in New Orleans for a while. He, also combined with the fact that Goose covers that song. Do they cover to, that? Okay, I mean they have. They have once yeah, yeah. or I don't know how many times, yeah. but they have covered it historically. But yeah, it's really cool to have you know the days between festival and keep up with the the essence of the scene and having people sit in and you know covers and yeah was, i saw a ton really... of great movies i pretty much saw some of dave's set and our our real good buddy neil francis play there too uh -huh. yeah i'm and friends with neil because yeah, he's from chicago yeah. he's really they, kind yeah, yeah, to, me yeah. to come on the show and i see him from time to time at yeah um at in different venues in chicago and yeah his shout management. out to neil yeah shout out to neil man hey neil and um uh, their manager is Brendan. Manage, yeah, yeah, manages uh, the heavy heavy. Yep, How we much just, do you love the heavy heavy, man? You know, man, it's. I don't want to say I'm jealous, but these kids, <laughs> you know, those, they're those so names, like, good. how do you say jealous without saying yeah, jealous? Yeah, <laughs> they're the second, the first time I heard, obviously, listen to music on recording, but when I heard Georgie and Will harmonize, I was just like, Oh my that's God. all you need. Like it doesn't matter. Like well, you it doesn't matter what you're, you're saying. Like the sixty, late sixties, early seventies, Laurel Canyon yeah. kind of vibe, and then and then. That, but that's not all they do. I just no, saw them recently at, at Newport and at their after show. Wonderful. They've got some really great new material. Yeah. Um. So I'm really excited for them. And 
A good friend of mine, George Bordenero from Chicago, who was with the band Rookie, among other things, was one of my favorite okay. Chicago rock bands, got tapped by Brendan to come in and try out for drums for Heavy Heavy. And now he's touring all over with these guys. That's Joe. Yeah, that's Joe. Wow. Yes. That's awesome. Oh, my God. I'm yeah. so happy for him. Yeah. we're yeah, uh, Shout out to you, Joe. Yeah. You shout rock, out to Joe. I'll, I'll see Tell you tomorrow, the- bud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, oh, were you pl- awesome. you're playing with them tomorrow? Yeah. We're... Uh, this is the second leg of the tour that is taking us. We're in, currently in Seattle today, but it's on the West Coast. So we have, you know, Salt Lake, Vegas, LA, San Diego, and the tour ends actually in Red Rocks in mm-hmm. uh, Morrison, Colorado. Yes. yes. And we knew that months and because this stuff gets booked months and months in advance. And we knew we were doing this co-package with had a uh, band of horses whom you're about yep. to see at the festival here at yep. Bumbershoot. Yeah. We, uh, we knew we wanted the heavy, heavy as soon as we heard them. And we know, like we have a lot of friends of friends that know them. And like, as you get into the music community and business of it, it gets smaller. Everyone and knows smaller everybody. And yeah. smaller. Yeah, 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 so yeah. we were just like, we want those guys. And like, they'd done some touring, but they had not done any like major touring. And it is now, September and they've been and here lo- since March. <laughs> they've been back. here since they haven't gone back to England since March. Yeah. And they're going to like, I, I was asking, what do you might guys as well just like get a house in Chicago? At this yeah, yeah. I told them like, what are you, what are you guys going to do when, when the tour ends were like, go home and sleep, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, they're, they're awesome. They're uh, not only are they incredible musicians and a band, they're also great people too. Yeah, so totally. yeah, all of them, Georgie, Will, yeah, Brendan Tom, and jo- yeah, and Joe. Frank. Joe's really like just, Top yeah. notch, just a great yeah. dude. I, I need to talk more to him about his perspective being the only American with them. I think oh yeah, actually never ever because none of them that. had really ever been to the states before. Huh? Which oh, is in, yeah, there's some funny culture shocks I was talking. So about. they're so they're playing with you at um, Red Rocks. Yeah, have you played Red Rocks before? This will be. Oh man, you're putting me on the spot. I want to say our fourth time headlining. Yeah. And uh, such an amazing is it cool? Is it as cool? It really is. It's, it's from the your... best. It's it's hard to put into words how gratifying it is to not just get to play music, but when the first time we we sold it out, that was like top five like life experiences for all of us. We just yeah. we're just looking around trying to take in the moment, thing like holy shit, we convinced ten thousand people to show up to see us somewhere. And if only a handful of years before we did our opening slot. The first, the only time we ever played before we opened up for JJ Gray. I think Mofro played second and Franti played third. Mm-hmm. And then three, four, or five years later to go and just go into the headline. And yeah. yeah, it's it's special. We don't take it for granted. Yeah, but the it's it's the historical perspective of that venue. It's the oh, yeah. sit where that venue is, it's, what it is, it's the what, acoustics, what it feels it's like. the location, it's the energy, yeah. it's and the d- aura of it. It's everything. And it's, it doesn't hurt that it holds whatever. 10, no, yeah, eight yeah, to yeah, ten. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so when you sell it out, and you sell it out because. It's a destination. Fa- yeah, it's the destination. Because it's not in Denver. Band. It's not exactly. Well, it's the not easy- just that it's Morrison outside of Denver. Yeah. It's that your fans across the country and fans of other bands across the country, when they play Red Rocks, people Sacred. are like, let's, yes, yeah. I need to see my band at Red Like I told you, yeah. I was just back from my morning jacket yeah. there. So you got to bring your A game. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Yeah. And people, and you do. Do you guys play a special set there? Does it feel different? Um, I wouldn't say a special set, but for. I'm not even going to use the word well, high I mean, profile. Like yeah, but no, but it's because that would be tough. There's certain things that you want to have fall in place for a show like that, where there'll be more caressing and attention to detail for what you want to do that starts earlier on than it would for like 
a regular show on a regular day. Yeah. And that way, you know, that's a, a double-edged sword because sometimes your expectations get raised on how you want to perform and how do you want to execute it. And sometimes it goes swimmingly and other times yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But the flip side of that is, for instance, we were just in Portland yesterday and it was incredible. We had not been there in a few years and the energy of the crowd was palpable and it it, we were just all looking around. It's like, oh man, they got a good one. Like they brought it out of us because yeah. that's what it is. It's you're you're very receptive of what's going on with the crowd. Right. And what makes Red Rocks great is like they are all they're right, right in your they're face, in your face, man. right? Yeah. It feels like that too when you're in the crowd it, and you're right on top of the band, which you don't really wild. get. You know, you're not looking up at them; they're looking up at you. It's it's almost they're look yeah yeah yeah. But from it's, our, it's from, almost from, like from you're, the fan perspective. If if I'm on stage looking up at the crowd, I feel like I'm in. It's in like the first seat of a movie theater. <laughs> you're just like, because you just see up and it just keeps going and going. And you're like, are they really all here? Because you can't see past the the naked eye can only take it so far. Yeah. And unless you get the light shine on them. But yeah, it's, right. it's a magical spot. We're very fortunate to go get to play there. So. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. anybody is. I'm fortunate to attend shows there. It's just yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah. And he, as a patron, just visiting and seeing shows there, I've seen a lot of great artists there throughout yeah the you're saying too. you just saw j-rad i saw j-rad there i've seen i saw die antward there which was actually a crazy show die antward die antward is a a south african rap duo this was like before the pandemic super artsy they're yeah. but incredible production wow. ridiculous I'll production yeah that, that was a great show yeah i think i've seen I'm losing some stuff off the top of my head. I know I've seen other stuff there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So with Revivalists, I love just the the dedication to Americana and uh -huh. the way roots music. You know, you really feel that that's the vibe, mm -hmm. and then combine that with everybody's sort of it, it's like geographically located and you can't really yeah. divorce it from new orleans no and and that's wonderful i love new orleans music i love everything there about what it offers mm -hmm. and, and so i love that that vibe about the band and i love the music as well you have a special you have a connection with new orleans and uh -huh. that you went to school there yeah tell me just really briefly like how you connected just so everyone knows yeah so um the band we we are from we're all from new orleans but none of us grew up in new orleans but most of us have spent the majority half over half of our lives yeah, there at this, at this point. point. Yeah, so it yeah. is home. So we always, when we were starting, you know, we we're, we we're just a band playing around town and just gigging a lot. But we realized if we wanted to like take this to the next level, we needed to get on the road yeah. and get out of town. And we were fortunate enough to be able to use that name you know, New Orleans band plays like throw it on a poster somewhere, like open up. We opened up a lot for the band Rebirth, Rebirth Brass Band. Yeah, they were just here. Yeah. And I remember specifically like playing with them in like Martyrs in Chicago with thing. It was like the coolest thing ever. I'm like, you know, like a, a Tuesday in February it was like five degrees. I outside. love going to shows at Martyrs. But yeah, there's been a lot of great bands that come through there. But yeah. it was in hindsight now we're really fortunate to have been from there because it's a great sense of community when it comes to the musicians there. The It's not the same kind of competition, dog-eat-dog -dog experience I feel like you'd see in more of these bigger markets like in Nashville or, or New York or LA. Yeah. And because of where it's geographically located, like it kept us kind of under the radar from the mainstream oh, because- what we would do is we would do tours. We'd tour our, our hometown. So we do 
we go up to like Ohio and then we go we do DC, <laughs> Philly, Connecticut, tour. New York. And we're talking because we know like we yeah. late 2000s. We're here. we're talking about yeah, like 2009 through 2014 yeah. we used to do that. And <laughs> yeah. we do that cuz we know we could actually do that and make money and then we just start peppering more dates here and there, but right. eventually got to the point if New Orleans isn't really close to anything. It's 5 hours yeah, to yeah. to um Houston on one side and it's 8 hours to uh, Atlanta on the other. Yeah. So to get anywhere else is it's, it's the South, everything's far apart. So we just really started focusing on a bunch of markets there, whether like it was Pensacola at first, or we cut our teeth doing a ton of frat parties from all the big sec schools we did. And that, and all those kids eventually moved to Atlanta. So then Atlanta became a really good market for us. Yeah. And Wait, is this a kind of a retrospective analysis I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. or is this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because uh, that yeah. sounds really fucking smart at the time, but it's yeah. sort of just how things kind of shake out and yeah. then you sort of, fo- you see where people are, see where the fan base is. But let me ask you one question though. It's an interesting when you talked about how New Orleans is neither here nor there uh-huh. kind of in that perspective, not only geographically, but also in the music business. Uh-huh. How much of a factor was that for you guys to kind of just be able to be there on your own, not have a, it sounds like crazy to say that New Orleans doesn't have a lot of distractions, but from an industry perspective, perhaps that's correct. Yeah. How was that? Was that, um, was that advantageous for you at the time? Early um, on? You know, the, I remember early, early on our come up when we realized if we wanted to get to a certain level, we would need to have help from people outside of town. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it was people were not capable of doing the jobs. It's just like to get to certain points, you need people that are connected. And as much of New Orleans is a beautiful music city, there's not really a music business culture there that exists in other places, Yeah, which is, it's a travesty because it's, vital to the fabric of American culture. You know, it's the birthplace of jazz, the birthplace of funk music. And you'd think there, we'd have a more vibrant community in the sense of the business aspect, but we don't, they're, oh, pardon me. Oh, that's cool. They're working on trying to build it up. Just knock it, my recording yeah. mixing thing onto the ground, George. It's oh fine. no. No problem. It's all good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I think it was perfect for us like I said, to just focus on ourselves and be surrounded by people who yeah. were receptive and who were also kind and willing to help us and, and offer us guidance and mentorship as well. Yeah, but there's plenty of that there. There's, there's a so ton many of that. collabs. Oh, it's so yeah. amazing. It's so amazing how New Such Orleans a talented artists city. support New Orleans artists. Of course. Show up. Um, yeah. Know, it's we, like, we, it's really, it's, so our it's first beautiful. touring was with Rebirth Brass Band, but then eventually Galactic kind of became our big brother brand and took Fucking us another wing. So we had Ben Alban actually produce a couple of our records and we would go out on the road with them. And it was, that was the first time I felt like, holy crap, we can like do this for real, for real. Yeah, like yeah. these guys are in buses and like this is their job, job. And we were still like in our mid mid pushing yeah, on late 20s and we're like, like that you're like, we're like I fuck, need to is do this that. actually going to work am i gonna have to like get a real job eventually you know or, or even thinking about that but it was uh we started to see glimmers of light and that we knew if like we believed in ourselves and we believed in each other and just like never stop and that's nice. what i can say really separated us because when we came up there are a million great fantastic bands around new orleans and yeah we were just willing to go out there and play the shows out of town and dog it and live in a van. And we basically live in a van it. for a just decade keep doing, just before keep we doing had any thing. kind of any real yeah. success. They said we were a 10-year a overnight success, but we'd yeah. spent 10 years, 10 years yeah, at least 200 days on the road. So 
Wow. That's inspiring. But yeah, we love, we're road dogs. We're on the road right now. So it's changed now that we all have kids and like, you know, it went from just the guys in the band. Now we have like over 20 people on the road with us, but it's still, yeah, you're road dogs. But on the other hand, pandemic was good for the band. Pandemic, I will say is the best thing that ever happened to our band. Yeah. Um, having something that was such a facet of your life before be completely stripped away in terms of not just the brotherhood, but the existence of getting to go and perform your music to people, your livelihood, all this stuff was taken away. And in an instant, without even having the time to really process or think about it, it was just one day we were on tour and the next day everybody's like, we're going home. We don't know when we're coming back. So there was a little bit of fear of, will we ever get to do this again? What will happen? But uh, everybody got to do like a mental reset. It's almost like we were on like a, a loop for the last like 15 years. We were on this circuit doing the same thing. So that all came to a halt. Yeah. Most of us during that time um, ended up having children and that completely- You as well. Yeah. Uh That completely changed our perspective coming back where there's this new focus and energy and this whole, we've always said we're, we're like a family, but it's like a village and it takes a village in order to do anything great. And adding kids to that just brought a whole nother level of us being determined and focused to make the best music we can make and and try and keep this going as long as we can because we love, it. We love the, each other. It changes the way you look at 200 days a year also. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I will say- But it's for a good reason. We don't, yeah, we're on the road probably, you know, we probably do 50, 75 shows a year, but the dads love being on the road way more than we did before. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, right. As much as we love, I'll, I will say most of us, when we're home, we're, you know, we're, we're dropping off our kids and picking them up at daycare. We're doing the grocery shop. We're doing a lot of the homework. Yeah. The homebody. Cause work you double down home. when you're Yeah, around. Cause all of our significant right, right, right. others have regular jobs. You know, they're yeah. not in the industry or they're, they're working remote, but they're not like on the road with us. Right. So when we come home, it's, the dichotomy of being a touring musician, then like and basically then almost like kind of like a stay at home dad. Yeah. And then like, oh, I can squeeze out a few hours. Like, oh, I can work on this music or go to the gym or like, no, I have to do this. And then you come back on the road and then you're just with the dads like, what do you guys want to do? It's like, I don't have to do anything <laughs> or it can do everything all at once. That's amazing. But yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And we're, we're lucky to be at a point in our careers where we don't have to be on the road 200 days a year. Yeah. So that's great. But yeah. And now you've got this album out. Yeah. Pour it into the night. Pour it out, Pour it into, out the into the night. night. It's, uh, we're very proud of it. I think this, you know, there's, there's stigma with pandemic albums, but you know, this, Why is that? what's the stigma? I guess, you what, know, everybody you was time to create something great. You know, when you put it from that perspective, yeah, I guess <laughs> we it, stigma. Hold on. Yeah. What? I, a lot of people, there's a negative connotation with like, with you, not for, with not your... specifically us, but I just no. feel there's a a tint or a tainted, excuse me, vision of like, oh, that's just another pandemic record. If that makes sense. Come on, did someone like say that to you? Not, no, not ones? not specifically about our record at all. Yeah, I'm like happy not for specifically. Good music. Yeah, Who gives a fuck. When I, I guess that's created. what a true music fan is, but maybe a, a music editorial writer or something. Fuck them. Fuck them. But no, but e- no, but either way, we I'm totally kidding. Yeah, we love music <laughs> editors. As the sun sets on this, that's yeah, it's, it's actually a beautiful sunset here. It's, you know, it's killer. I've been in Seattle for five, six hours. This is the first glimpse of the sun I've seen since yesterday. We got was here. an incredibly beautiful day. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the record, like you were saying, um, we didn't get to see each other till shit, July, August, September, maybe 
uh, no, probably like I'm trying to think now. October of 2020 was the first time we had met when since we had last seen each other in like March, and we just started hunkering down two, three, four times a week. Yeah, getting the getting a bunch of songs just together playing together in the same room. Yeah, together in the same room. That's, That's basically an advantage what it was. Of like being all being in That's, the one same city. It was that. But so you all yeah. live in the same city. All of us live in New Orleans except for PJ, one that, who lives in Chicago. Actually, oh, okay. All right. But that's but, pretty unique for bands these days because like people grow up and they grow older and yeah, they want to move and yeah. they, somebody wants to go to LA. And, yeah, 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 yeah. But it it allowed us to really hunker down and it felt like that was the first time in a long time it's just like us in the room playing. So we were able to really get these songs to a point where we could send them off to producers and have them put their magic touch on that. Long story short, Rich Costi, who is a phenomenal record producer, wanted to be involved with the project. And we went up to uh, his home studio and uh, it's called Guilford Sound Studios in Guilford, Vermont. And mm -hmm. uh, we recorded this record up there. and We're incredibly proud of it. He he really got us. It, it feels like this is the first. This is the first time you'd work with him? The first time we work with him. And and I, I always tell this to people. I knew 30 seconds after we were there talking to this guy before we even played a, a note that this was going to be. A fit it just felt right awesome and he he was great because you know when when you need him to like lay down the law and be be master mix as we called him you would uh you wanted to do that but he'd also you know kind of be your friend and confidant and he played all the hats of producer very well and on top of just being an absolutely world-class mixer engineer producer just as a human being yeah and he previous records before I think if you were to speak to any of the other band members too, it there always felt like there was a disconnect because we had a, a hard time having a producer be able to cover all the separate lanes that we cover. Mm -hmm. And Rich has had a plethora of work in so many different genres and styles that he could tie it all together and put his touch on it and still make it sound like us. And I think that's what I'm most proud about the record. Bringing everybody together, like bringing the songs. What's your worst nightmare in that regard? The, like the that, worst that nightmare would be, you know, having a record with five, six, seven different producers on 15 tracks. And then it does not sound like a record. It doesn't sound like this is a batch of music that should be. Are, are there together. albums out there where producers are producing different tracks on albums and 100%. you just kind of cobble it together? Hundred percent. That sounds. That it's seems a, bonkers. Like pop music. Not not all. Oh, of it, but pop yeah. music. Yeah. Well, no, we're but not, yeah. We're not talking about pop yeah, music. Yeah. 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 But, but it, no, it does. It is frequent. Yeah. It is frequent. So but I think I think my 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 biggest takeaway was that you got along with him. He got you guys. Of course. And he gave you a kind of a refreshed sound. Yeah. That maybe refreshes and like he gave you a unique sound that was not only his own but that you agreed with yeah and, and you felt represented the band in the, yes. in the best way possible yes in definitely. that moment definitely. that's most important of course yeah yeah, yeah, we're, yeah we're incredibly proud of it we're we're so happy to have worked with rich and i'm i hope uh yeah. hope we can do something together with him sometime where are you in the tour right now we you said you're on the, this is the second leg is this red is rocks the, like this is the, the third, third leg, leg how actually? many legs is this, this is the last <laughs> so we uh uh, we decided this year we were going to tour a little differently. We're like, we took a lot of time off at the beginning of the year and we're taking time off at the end of the year. So from about April until November, we've been like really at it. We've had, don't get me wrong. We had, we've had weeks off here and there, but like we're, this is the third leg of our summer tour that ends with the red rocks in a week. Yeah. About 10 days. 
but we how are you doing personally I, like, I love the road I'm fantastic man oh I yeah thrive. That's, right. that's right I, I forgot you're married and have two kids Sorry, yeah, no I, I love I forgot too, briefly for the moment but I I thrive on the road personally it's uh it's the perfect amount of constant stimulation for me yeah that there's always something to do constantly and I just I just Maybe love it. I've loved it since like day you one. Like playing music too. That's a, that's a the, that's a given. You know, waking up and playing <laughs> yeah. music is that's the the job. That's the quote, easiest unquote, part. And that's that's literally Almost, the easiest. Yeah. I, I tell this to young kids all the time because I was just talking to a sixteen year old girl who had a song go viral on TikTok with her friends, and I told her I was like, if you really want to pursue this, like you have to love this because it's not always going to be fun or easy. And if you don't have that passion, yeah. you're going to get burnt out. You're going to get jaded. And I, I told her, cause she's like, what's it really like? Say like 99% of what I do has nothing really to do with music. That's only one little facet of it. And mm. that it's the most important. Don't get me wrong. Right. But, but you have to love it so much that it has to weed out all the other yes. bullshit. That has there's to, you so still need to have like, that childlike wonder to just like want to yeah. create and, and, yeah. work on music the beauty song. of the music industry is that part that one percent is so yeah. fucking awesome and i consider myself lucky to be in that percent where i get to earn my living doing this with people i care about and make music i'm proud of and we're, we're live we don't Dude, take I'm that getting for granted i'm getting the oh, fire in the shit. belly right now man yeah seriously beautiful sunset fire in the belly yeah, yeah. i yeah. love it man i yeah, wish i had more time to talk to you it's okay you, you talk for a little bit you, more i got some i got another one Oh shit! Fucking stacked. Who you got next? Anybody cool? Modern Love from Ireland. I don't know if I'm familiar with them. Yeah, I'm not either. But you know, that's the beauty of a festival, man. We set the schedule, and I got to respect. You know, okay. Will you come on my show another time? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because we know some of the same people in Chicago. Yeah, let's not be strangers. I can find you, or yeah, we'll be. We're going to be coming to Chicago soon. I'm not going to say this on, on the podcast, oh, yeah? Okay. but yeah, yeah but we can me. discuss after. All right. That'd be cool. Yeah, man. That'd be awesome to do like a, a long-winded one. Absolutely. I love, yeah. Oh, we could go. I know that we, we could have a good time. Could, yeah. yeah I'm, this is long. my, I'm, Dude, I'm breaking knocking, the mix here again. knocking my shit on the floor. There, this is my, um, everybody has their like, their skill sets and stuff. And the, the long form convo is usually my favorite way to do any press. All right. You're coming on the show. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Deal. Thanks, George. Awesome. Pleasure meeting you, man. Yeah, man. Thank Cheers. you. Okay, that was George Gakus, amazing bass player for The Revivalist. Uh, just love chatting with George. What a great dude. I mean, his energy and love for what he does is just absolutely palpable. I love chatting with him, uh, among other things, about playing at Red Rocks, you know, he talks about how the energy is palpable there. And I loved his analogy of just kind of being in the front seat of a movie theater when you're standing on stage there, just looking at everybody on that in that amazing natural amphitheater. Um, love chatting with him about sort of uh, the NOLA, NOLA vibe and that New Orleans culture, you know, birthplace of jazz and funk and that amazing mentorship that takes place amongst the older uh, artists and their attitude towards other bands in that town. And uh, interesting to hear about the revivalist relationship with Rebirth Brass Band and Galactic when they were just coming up. Um, 
Also interesting, you know, they like I said, they they have this uh, their recent album poured out into the night is out now, and I really love this album. And uh, you know, we talked about how the pandemic, you know, was the best thing that ever happened to this band. That he's now uh, that they're now a fam, they are a family, but now they're a village with uh, members with children. George George has kids, and uh, while they used to do two hundred shows a year, now they're doing like fifty or uh, sixty. Of course, we talked about the revivalist and George being on the cover of Relics magazine, and that was so amazing for George, who really admired the jam band scene early on when he was growing up outside of New York City. And we talked about uh, Wetlands Preserve. That was Peter Shapiro's old venue. Of course, Peter also owns Relics magazine, and uh, that was just kind of a dream come true for George. Uh, loved his energy, uh, love what he had to say. I hope to have him on the show for a longer interview at some point soon. I think he said they're coming to Chicago at some point. So, um, uh, heads up to Chicago fam for that. I'm really looking forward to them coming in town again. Uh, they were, they're heading out to Europe on October 19th. Uh, of course they just finished the third leg of their, uh, North American tour, uh, with their show at Red Rocks with Band of Horses, as well as with the Heavy Heavy, um, who's one of my favorite up and coming bands now. But like I said, their uh, uh, revivalists are heading to Europe on October 19th. They'll be in London, Paris, Berlin, and Hamburg. And of course, they'll be playing at the Big River Get Down in Hamilton, Ohio, which is just outside of Cincinnati. That's coming up this week, September 22nd and 23rd. Just love talking to George. Hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Uh, thanks again to George Gakis for sitting down with me at Bumber Shoot for this interview. Next up is the amazing singer-songwriter Cassandra Lewis. Cassandra is a stunning artist with an amazing voice who really breathes life into classic country in an especially cosmic fashion uh, with infused with sort of a psychedelic soul feel uh, whose love of Pink Floyd and Patsy Cline uh, bring this combination of genres all home uh, with Cassandra's music. Her debut album is out. It's entitled Always, always. And I just absolutely love it. The second I heard it and uh, knew she was coming to Bumbershoot, I had to uh, make sure I was able to sit down and chat with her. I'm so glad to be able to bring this interview uh, with Cassandra to you all. Uh, she is funny. She's sweet. She's charming. She's affable. Uh, she's in her mid-30s and she's been down many roads um, and has a real existential uh, view of life and where she's been. And she uses her life experience to sort of infuse her own way of going about the world now, taking into account uh, everything that's occurred to her, uh, occurred in her life and uses uh, those significant challenges that she has faced over the years uh, to help build her up as a human being and give her strength as an artist to bring those qualities to others through her music. And that's absolutely just wonderful. I really loved talking to Cassandra from the second I met her and her story is absolutely remarkable. And we really have, uh, a really nice time just vibing and talking about where she's been and where she's going. She's got new music coming out next year in 2024 that I'm really excited about. And I know that 
she will bring more and more to the world of cosmic country and beyond. And I'm really excited to have her on the show. Thanks again to Cassandra Lewis for being here on this special episode from Bumbershoot. I'll be back after this interview to chat a little bit more about Cassandra and to introduce the next interview that's up, Modern Love from Ireland. But first, here's the wonderful Cassandra Lewis. So, Cassandra, Roadcase Podcast, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. I think we're off to a good start. <laughs> I think we are. Yeah, a little too good of a start, I think, actually. Well, that's well, all right. no, there's, no, there's such no such thing, thing. as too good. Mm. Well, Is there? Yeah. I mean, tell that to Burning Man. Yeah. Yeah, right. You wait. So, wait. <laughs> all right. So, and you told me you just got back from Burning Man, but uh -huh. did you like, so you're only supposed to be there for a couple of days, obviously, because you just also played in somewhere in Oregon yesterday. Um, no, I, no, I actually was just on my way. I, I I had to do a, or I got to do a, a Dark Side of the Moon 50th anniversary. It is the 50th anniversary tribute. I ordered the album. Yeah, it's my absolute I favorite. It, actually. Yeah. It's so good. And it's been a real spiritual like thing for me to, to I, I can't di deep, deep dive into that, but um, I got the we opportunity can, oh, to sing. Oh, yes, we can. We can. <clears throat> well, no, no, I'm, I'm as super a child. all about that. Have you seen Government Mule do Dark Side of the Mule? Oh, yeah, they do. Uh, yeah. They're, yeah, that's amazing. I haven't seen them do it, but I've heard it. I mean, the key the is the backing right? vocal. You could crush it. You would crush it, obviously. But the key is getting the backing mm -hmm. vocalist that can crush the, great gig. the uh, great gig. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's kind of my thing. Whoever, I don't know who she who they had at that point, but I've also seen Lucius do it. Lucius does. I guess they do Holy a cool shit. one. Because they toured with Roger Waters. Mm -hmm. Right. And Bo Coster of My Morning Jacket was playing keys for Roger Waters for like 18 months. Yeah. I'm a big My Morning Jacket fan. I saw them out at Bonnaroo, actually. It was oh. like four hours and I was like, when is this going to... Jacket? Yeah. Oh, just now you saw them? Yeah, just last. Them oh, Bonnaroo. you were at that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't four hours. It, it was, was like definitely four hours. Almost three. It, it was not like even almost eternity. three because no, I know this for a fact. It was not four <laughs> because I got a friend of mine, Jason, who's like, I'm going to Bonnaroo. They're going to play for three and a half hours. And we're like, no, they're not, dude. They're, you know, so they really did. They played for 250. <laughs> it was 250. Was it really? I was, I watched the set from home. Yeah. I've just never seen him. I've just never. It's, Anything it over two hours, people they like it's a freak out session now. I panicked. I was like, what do I do I with myself? Somewhere? Like, am I in a tent? Really? <laughs> yeah. Astral projecting did you into go my morning chat. Did you go? Like, no, I didn't. I went there um, to, I went there with uh, the people who started Bonnaroo, actually, some, like, a couple of uh, folks there. Uh. Super duper sweet. Um, and they invited me. They had seen me play and um, they actually hosted a showcase at their house in Berkeley. And then they're like, oh man, you should come to Bonnaroo with us because you live out in Nashville. And we always, we always go and we got a good crew. And so you could camp in our bus with us. And, I nice. got the star treatment. I got to tell you, I mean, I got to ride around in a golf cart and didn't have to walk around. And nice. there was water, you know, you're, food, you're, basic, you're good to basic amenities, like, air to conditioning. Admit that you went on the luck on the luxury. I cruise. did. I went on the luxury. Listen, hey, I know how to rough it. Okay, <laughs> I've been living in a van down by the river a long time. Okay, I deserve <laughs> right. a little bit of luxury. Right. Every now 100%. and then. Yeah. I'm not trying to take that away from you. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, don't worry. Morning, my morning jacket. I had to stand up for three and a half hours, so that was. <laughs> It but wasn't it was three and a half hours. It though. was, but it was good. It was just like, man. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I have time blindness. So you do. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like my relationships last five years, but really it's about a year and a half. That's the standard, you know, 
So how do I know how long my morning jacket was? I've had so many conversations <laughs> about time today. Like, is it does it go slower when you're really busy or does it just go super fast? Or, or do you just fill know. it and you're distracted with the things that you're doing? Time blindness with yes. relationships. Mm-hmm. And know. with just most things Does that in get general. in the way with you in relationships? Um, I mean, I don't really know if that's the main issue, but I think... <laughs> Uh, that's probably that's another. The, that's that's the probably least, the least of our worries, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> no, it's yeah. It's just famous for my um, my intolerance for a number of very minimal things. You know, I have. I have Are you nitpicky? Absolutely not. No, I'm a great cook. I'm very patient. I'm very kind. I don't. The, the things I don't like is waking up before nine in the morning. I don't like being woken up, and if I have to be. Then please just wake me up really sweetly and gently. Don't uh-huh. like start talking about daytime fucking logistics with me, because I'm I'm just that's just not what I do. You're not a I was morning born person. Late You're not a morning person. I live in the night. I am of the night. I was born at like five forty a.m., but I still hate the mornings. I mean, yeah. I don't hate the mornings. I just like prefer just to be in bed during the morning. Well, my creative, you know, side yeah. really opens up around three p.m. Yeah. and then it goes Six. to bed around three a.m. So I need, but I still like to dream and I dream real heavy and really intense. So like, I like to have the full thing and I go into REM cycle and then it's like, if you wake me up, it makes me sick to my stomach. Nine to 12. Wow. How long can you do nine to 12 hours? Usually about nine to 12 hours. No, I mean, uh, (laughs) yeah, you're funny. All right. I'll I'll come back at you I'm on a sugar rush. Get me. Don't think I'm going to forget this. Get me back. He's actually writing it down on a notebook. Right I can now. hold he a grudge. He just opened up Don't a small worry. notebook that says Ver- shit list. Verbal grudges are my specialty. <laughs> he did. He did. He wrote my name down. <laughs> I did spelled not. it wrong. Don't lie. Don't lie just because people can't see what we're doing. Cassandra. <laughs> Hold on. We've got some folks. Should we ask them questions? These people that are coming yeah, by. Should we ask there them are some them? rules to this podcast, Cassandra. Okay. You didn't inform me. No, they're not. <clears throat> it, there's not it's not that there are no rules, but I, I'd rather talk to you. Oh. And that's something these cargo shorts dudes that are walking by <laughs> i think that was a um, my morning jacket cover band <laughs> i think Good it's my one. morning pantalones <laughs> <laughs> what's the uh, my morning my evening petticoat. waistcoat petticoat, petticoat. <laughs> my evening what's, a petty, what's a petticoat anyway, petticoat sorry. is a uh it's like a it's like an under puffy thing, thing that goes oh. under a under a victorian so old school yeah so where were we we were, ta- we were talking about music at one point. I think we were at something around crippling ADHD. <laughs> we were, no, we were talking about your relationships, which you're skipping over. Yeah, I think we should just glaze over that. Do you think so? Well, yeah, I mean, because it, all, it pers- all kind of relates really anyway. I did to- have to leave my 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 sweet my sweetheart um, in a in a flurry in a angry bit of a fight when I had to leave an abandoned Burning Man at four in the morning on Friday morning, right before it started raining. So we did the Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and Scott Page from from Pink Floyd was there. He, he flew in for the burn and did the did the dark side with us. And I was supposed to give him a ride you, back. You played you played it. Burning we played Man. it like oh, we did the full with a full band, the really? entire Dark Side of the Moon album um, with Scott Page, who showed up wow. to the burn and then. I uh, did the great gig in the sky. Scott Page, like a new, he's like in the, he's new, a, yeah, like like the Roger David. Waters band. Uh, no, he's a David Gilmore <clears throat> guy. Yeah, but he was, he's like from one of the OGs, like from a long time ago. I think he was uh, okay. actually on it, like the actual record. But I'm not exactly sure. Don't I'm not familiar with me. that name. From, well, with he, respect to Pink he's Floyd, a guy. But I could be wrong. Okay. He's a guy who did a thing and yeah. he's. 
does things with the, those guys. Does went, things the with ones, other things. The remaining guys. Yeah. Um, That's cool. But anyway, he was great, and it was really fun. And uh, then I had to leave immediately. <laughs> so I packed, You're lucky. I packed my shit, and I hopped in the van and got in a little tiff because my sweetie didn't want me to leave. Right. How many years have you, how, how long have you been with this one person? Because you did mention the year and a half. They only last for a year and a half. Well, it's I just sad. Want to know where it's you sad. Are I don't want it to be like person. that, but it's just, I also don't, you know, if somebody's not going to open up to me, I'll, you know, I and we're just not, right? It's why waste each other's time. But this one is really lovely person. It's just, it's not the thing that, you know, we both need right now. We both need to focus on some other stuff. I've got a lot going on. And we don't live in the same area anymore. So it was sort of an amicable goodbye. And, oh, uh, so when you it may met not Lee, be forever. You, Lee, you never you know. Only met like physically, but that kind of that was it. Well, I mean, it was just that for a while. He he tends to think it might be forever, but I'm I don't I'm not so sure. He doesn't want it to be, but I really don't know why we're talking about. Th- it's so fresh. I haven't even processed it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I barely just got back from Burning Man. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, he's sitting there in a tent with a broken up, zipper. I know, I know, it's my fault. Uh, I always do. Yeah. Let's talk about my other ex because that's taken longer, and that's what my album's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do that. I then. have much. I have a much easier time talking about him. <laughs> your new album, which is kind of your debut album. Yeah, I mean, I did the always always record. Yeah, which I just released in September, and then I have a new one coming out next year. Oh, you do already? Yeah, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Does that have a title? Uh, I think it's going to be called Lost in a Dream, but I'm not entirely sure, and if I'm allowed to say that or not. Okay, well, but just, I did you it just anyway. Said it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that one's with Electra. We wouldn't hold you to it. You can still change it if you'd like. Yeah, totally. I probably might have to. So lost at the burn. Always, always. <laughs> <laughs> Lots, lot, a lot is lost there. Yeah. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what? So this is about your breakup. Well, with the with the pro, with the the one before. Well, this no, is why no, we're talking about relationships. I know. By the way. It's. I mean, I hate to be a which I love. Know, I love doing it. It's really that a lot of people write about their relationships, right? Yeah. Relationship. Mine happens to be sometimes to people, sometimes to, you know, our relationships to alcohol, relationships to our jobs. It's, it's just all connection um, and, you know, obsession, attachment styles and all of that. So I like to, I like to just share mine and uh, it helps me to process and heal and, and try to get through um, just, get through this weird <laughs> this weird weird thing that we're doing together here yeah. on planet earth so tell me about where you grew up uh i was an army brat so i was i was born in germany nuremberg germany on uh-huh. a military base and then uh-huh. we moved to the states when i was about three like lived in florida i think texas stopped stopped over in texas and um living monterey mostly grew up in southeast idaho Fort wyoming Ord. some that's Monterey, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and moved a lot. I've moved a lot in my life, but um, mostly grew up kind of real country, southeast Idaho, and my dad lived in uh, Wilson, Jackson Hole right. area. Oh, cool. For a while. Yeah, real well, cowboy. Uh-huh. Cowboy guy. I mean, I just know Jackson from skiing and like Tetons. Yeah. The Tetons. <laughs> We're like, where'd you get that accent? I'm like, it's actually more country than you think out there. It's the real West. This is a Western accent. This isn't a Southern accent. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> like, where are you from? Is your family musical? How do you do? You come into this line of work, honestly. I mean, it's so just, to speak, it's sort of a cliche story. I mean, I got didn't have a great, you know, stepfather relationship, and I 
was, you know, doing a lot in the house to help the family stay afloat. And Mm -hmm. we did not have a good relationship. It was very unhealthy, in fact. And spent a lot of time in my room and in the house. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I just wasn't really, I was more of a TV kid. My parents were divorced as well. Yeah. So I was just sad real early. I got real sad real young. And uh, related to just really heavy music and my grandparents would take me on road trips that was kind of the the like little away yeah. you know vacations that i got and they would let me listen to like patsy klein and um you know johnny cash and all the classic stuff like burke Bacharach, <laughs> you know things like that a lot of cinematic musicals my grandma was obsessed with elvis and so that influenced the sort of very classic stuff and then my stepdad he would listen to he had a huge you know musical library and he he um he would listen to just about everything but his favorite was pink floyd that's where this all comes full circle here mm-hmm. and uh you know i could kind of tell what kind of mood he would be in when he came home depending on what album what he, he, put on. he put on so i was very i learned to be very hyper vigilant and uh you know manage all the adults feelings you know around me by by you know depending through music and so yeah that's why I hated Pink Floyd when I first was growing up because it was triggering for me. And then later in my life, I developed this um, this love for it because I was able to reclaim it and turn that that album into, um, you know, what it's in, you know sort of intended to be, which is a reflection on on your time spent here on Earth and introspection and your sort of, for me at least, this sort of transcendence into your higher form. Which is what great gig in the sky is to me. That's the yeah. that's sort of your entrance into whatever heaven, if it's your internal heaven or into the actual, you know, whatever cosmic nothingness we're going into. That's sort of the that's the song I imagine playing once I've achieved, you know, Nirvana, Nirvana, <laughs> so to speak. Since we're in Seattle, yeah, exactly. Um, once I've achieved. Program. So you had a hard upbringing with your stepfather. Yeah. Um, sorry <laughs> about that. Well, you know. Made for good music. We're fine now. I've forgiven that whole situation. I know people are just people. Yeah. I can't hold on to that shit. I've worked. Well, there's one thing about like forgiving parents and and such for their own particular flaws. But if something's like abusive or whatever, I don't know exactly what it was. Yeah. Or even if you want to share. But um, it's hard. It's hard to manage his feelings. He couldn't manage his anger and his own upbringing. So it's just it's ancestral stuff. No, oh, no, yeah. he was just angry, angry and overwhelmed. Yeah. And we were broke and, there, you know, he was pretty young for adopting, you know, three kids. And I think he just didn't have a great upbringing himself. And so it just, it's inherited trauma. So I talk and about that a lot. And always, always as picture? well, the movie or the, the movie the uh. song, beautiful. Yeah. My mom worked a lot too, but she's, uh-huh. she was wonderful. She just did what she could. And like, it's a lot of kids. We all kind of just had to raise I was like a third parent, you know. Do you ever like, yeah, I don't know if my mom's like listening to this thing, but I didn't think she married the most like perfect person for her. Yeah. I mean, it's like been 50 years Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, 45 years, Mm -hmm. my stepdad. But how do you, do you blame her? Are you angry? Do you get angry with her that she did that? That was the case. I don't blame her because. I mean, I've worked, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and working on it. And like for a long time I did, 
um, not understand why she didn't leave, you know, why she just stayed. And I understand now after going through some of my own like kind of toxic and abusive relationships that it can be extremely difficult. And especially when you're with somebody like that has narcissistic tendencies or I don't, you know, don't claim to, that's actually what the new record's about is sort of like having these very toxic, very narcissistic. I was married to a narcissistic, sort of narcissistic like gaslighter. Lost in a dream. It's actually loosely based on Wizard of Oz and like dating someone who's sort of this illusion of a person. You, Interesting. I went through a sort of hero's journey to to be as good as I, I thought that they were and find this this home and this like this magical healing thing yeah. to get to them. And by the end of it, I realized that I've got everything I need here I could click my heels and be in the home that i always had for myself and they were really just an illusion you know peek behind the curtain they're just a person with their own brokenness and their own insecurities so it's like there are a lot of themes and storytelling of of family and addiction and all of that so yeah so you believe that forgiveness is part of forgiving people is part of healing absolutely you can't have it without that no not without it but sometimes exploring your own self mm-hmm. is part of that more part of that equation for some people. Well, yeah, sometimes you just never get the closure that you think you're going to get. You never get the apology, you know, I right. never really no, did. No one ever gets the apology. You never really get the apology. Cause and you so can't you change them. To... It's hard to apologize for things that, you know, you, the, when you've, when people, especially family members tell you that you've been wrong, that yeah. they were wronged. Well, and it's almost as painful to hurt people as it is to be hurt by people sometimes. And you can get stuck in like this swirl of like, you know, disbelief that you could be that even that kind of person and you yeah. justify your behavior, even in like microaggressions. And, you know, when right. we get angry, we hurt people, hurt people, you know? And so I could just, I, I do, you know, psychedelics and a number of other, like just spiritual awakenings. Yeah. I, I'm in no way like all healed and like, haha, you know, shanti shanti or anything, oh, I'm not, yeah. but I've made a lot of progress and I've got a pretty good humor about, the human condition and I can understand the the complexities of relationships in a way that I think allows me to forgive a bit easier than I used to, where I would hold a fucking grudge for a long time. Right. And it crippled me. It made me unable to function in society and like relationships. And I still have, like I said, some flickers of that, that, um, that I, that I try to catch myself on, but when I'm feeling that swirl and that like darkness, that toxic cycle and allow the cycle to take me over, it's like I revert back to that like state. And so, yeah, it's like, it's really difficult for people to sometimes break out of that. That's why I can't blame my mother for, for that when it's just survival in a lot of ways. So yeah. for her, I mean, we've got a, we've got a great relationship now and we've worked through a lot of that and we've. Yeah. Having that talk that, I'm angry with you, mom, for doing what you did. Like I had a little bit of that talk with my mom at one point. And, that's one of the um, hardest But you have to do that mm-hmm. in order to heal yourself. Yeah. You got to tell people your truth. Because mm-hmm. people, you know, the, 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 the people that get involved in abusive relationships and then that have an effect on the children, they don't know. Yeah. They don't know. They need to know what effect those behaviors had on other people. Yeah. It's it can be sad. You're like, God, it's been 30 years and they haven't forgotten that one thing that happened or the hundred things that happened, the two years, the 10 years that were just yeah. traumatizing for everybody. So traumatizing, we couldn't even see through the fog yeah. until the end of it, until we were all already broken, Yeah, you know? And, and it's like, oh God, now we have to relive that to, to like heal it. It's like, oh, f- 
Really? Yeah. People that make mistakes or live certain ways that have negatively affected other people just want to like put it in the past. Exactly. I mean, and, and that's some people's thing. If they can do that and they can actually feel like they can move through it, then that's fine. But I'm not that kind of girl. I gotta, I'm a storyteller. I, yeah. I, I, I try to give people a hall pass to access those things yeah. through me and my music and also my humor. And like half of what I do on stage is just laugh at the absurdity and the bullshit that is like life and like i mean i have to at some point it's so many crazy things have happened that i just i had to start laughing i had to start laughing yeah and and you've had reclaiming some, it you know yeah you've had clearly you've had some experience i mean debut album at 36 people are like well where were you but then you've got all this experience that you can draw on. yeah it's positive yeah i mean I've been performing. it makes for mature perf- mm-hmm. mature output yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I think I finally just stopped being so precious with it. And I realized, you know, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, this has been for me. Mm-hmm. This was a tool for my healing. It wasn't for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started performing when I was eight years old. That was my ticket, you know, for my family. I was like, this is how I'm going to make the money to save us. You know, so if, if we have money, then we'll be happy. When you were eight. Then we won't have you know, we won't we won't be fighting all the time and we won't my mom won't be working and my yeah, stepdad won't that. be tired and then everybody we can just be happy so i was like i have a voice i can do this so i started calling radio stations like i want to sing for you and started booking myself out of the yellow pages at like retirement homes and shit and like with a karaoke machine and i was like i'm gonna do this i was so tenacious and i did until i was 16 and then i quit so I got burned out mm-hmm. and I felt taken advantage of with my music. I'm like nobody loved me except for my music. And so I was like, I fucking hate this shit. I'm not doing this anymore. Wow. And so I kind of quit and just for was like long? in a serial relationship situation for like five, six years till I was like 26, 25. Uh-huh. And then uh, I moved to like Boise and started taking psychedelics and then went out and did uh, worked on weed farms in California for Were like years. Were you still years. singing and doing stuff? I was singing and like doing some stuff, but I hadn't even been to a music festival. I didn't, uh-huh. you know, I didn't do it really. I had kind of, I was working and exploring and, you know, just trying out any any kind of, you know, human avatar I could to see which one fit because I didn't feel like I... You I didn't know who myself. you were, I lived really. up here in Seattle area for a yeah. while, like five years. I loved it, but I was like all goth. I was like all wore all black, and I was Seriously. did burlesque and pin up and all that. Like corset training, scarred myself. Like corset training It's like totally different. I've been so many different people. I mean, they're still part of me, but I've definitely like put on a lot of costumes, shape shifted until I figured out like my voice and my real voice and like what I wanted to say and talk about. And I kind of found that, like I said, through like psilocybin and. and psychedelics kind of open that that person up for me and then it's been this has <laughs> and been i haven't a, had a regular this, job since <laughs> this has really been a journey for you yeah yeah it's so impressive i mean i talked to so many artists who's like doing their debut album at 20 yeah. not that it's any not you can have certainly I've been writing profound, the songs for a long time but yeah. yeah how old are these songs good point some of them are are you know are like I think I wrote my first actual song on the guitar when I was 18. Yeah. It's not on this record. It's like probably going to go on another one someday. Mm-hmm. But um, I kind of, I was, I, it never left me. And anything I, I tried to do, it like, I, I would get ripped out of that and, and forced back into music. 
this was supposed to be the thing that I was supposed to do. All oh, I thought this, I just thought it, you were going to say the other way around. Every no, time you no, were trying would, to do something. But then I mean, I felt like, why is it so hard? Then why, why do, you, why can't I just like get a little bit of help? Like nobody's listening to me. Nobody's coming to the shows. Like I got three people. I'm screaming into the microphone, just like a little fog and less anime. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually, like I kind of just snapped. And I remember when I snapped was in Boise, Idaho. I fucking snapped from at this Irish bar. And I was getting wasted because I was like getting paid in booze. It was $50 or a bar tab. There's three people in the bar. I was playing like four hour sets of like covered music, some originals. And this group of like drunk guys comes in and they just are yelling and hollering. And then they're cat calling me. This is when I was 26. So it's been about 10 years. Uh And uh, they come in and they're just like, I'm like singing this sentimental song about my mom and my broken heart and my relationship, you know, to my family and stuff. And they come and sit right in front of me. I was like, this is a song for my mother. Like, you know, thank you, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, if your mother looks anything like you, you know, kind of. They sit right at my tip table. The whole bar is completely open. And they decide to sit right in front where my tip jar is and drink and talk as loud as they possibly can. And then berate me and like catcall me while I was doing it. And I fucking lost it. Yeah. I lost it and I stepped on the table and knocked over their beers and I screamed at the top of my fucking lungs. Holy shit. <laughs> I just screamed. And it what was happened? like a, it was not like a singing cute, like it was like a full blown no, you were like, fucking mad. You barbaric snapped. yop. I snapped James. I was drinking Jameson a lot. And hot damn. That was my like poison. But That was your Jameson moment. Oh uh, yeah. I later passed out in the bushes without my shoes on. That was like a whole night. But oh, holy shit. Are you still drinking? From then on, I mean, that was a, that was a whole era. <laughs> the pandemic was a real era So too, we got the mushroom era and we got the drinking a lot era. Well, that was, you know. Wait, but let's not, I don't want to get off the track of this. Tell me how this story ended. Well, essentially it's just like I, I stopped caring so much what people thought about my stage performance and my banter and like how sweet I was and how put together I was. And I, I finally just started saying whatever the fuck I wanted. And that's where this like character of mine, Grammy was born, Grammy Fox, uh, you know, not such a grandma, but she like, she just kind of had the, has the wisdom char- of an old character? lady. Yeah. It was like a, it's like an alter ego kind of thing. So is, Grammy, is it part of this album? Um, I mean, she just kind of pops like up whenever. This is like real life. It's just life. a real life thing. It's like my playa name. It's not just my playa name, but that's, I didn't want a playa it's name. Your, I was like, what's your, so now we know my how moniker. to find you at a hotel now. Grammy. Well, no, I've got a couple of other <laughs> ones uh, that I use for those nefarious places, but no. <laughs> but Wait, no. you got to tell me what happened when you like stepped on the guy's table. Well, they just all were just like, what They were the mortified. F- like, what yeah, the fuck is happening? Yeah, they yelled. They're like, I spilled their beer yeah. and I was like. People can smell real you, crazy you, moment. And just like, no, it was a. A woman gone mad, spaghetti spaghetti on the walls, like they couldn't say much and they just kind of like shuffled off and left and then like flipped me off and stuff. And then I just pull, unplugged my guitar, packed up my stuff. I said, I'm not doing this shit anymore. I'm like, it's not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it, man. And so anyway, I, I, I was playing out more, trying to play out in Boise. I had started like a little like underground venue in the basement next to K- krbx in boise radio boise mm-hmm. just down the hall just like a little diy space and uh started having little shows there and trying to play nobody was really into the country thing when i was there in the cosmic country that i was like sort of fringe soul psychedelic western stuff yeah. and uh so still it was just like hashing it out hacking and hacking music um and I ended up leaving there, going to California to grow weed and to work on weed farms for like five years. So 
those guys that were like harassing you in that bar were enough to make you leave the music just, well, just performing no it that, just like, made it change the way that i performed it changed the way that i like relate to the crowd because i was just really careful like my whole life i was really careful and hyper vigilant to manage everybody's feelings and that comes from a place of trauma you know yeah and then i just that like allowed me to snap in a way that you know let me just just fucking sing harder and sing more gnarly and not Chan- make it perfect and <clears throat> channel it and, into what could and be like banter and like heckle people or like tell them to shut the fuck up <laughs> you know it's like if they're gonna do it to me why can't i do it to them right and then it was a little rough at first but i finally eventually it found humor you, with it and was it sounds able like to be it made funny you and, like develop a thicker skin in other words yeah it did it like uh-huh. kind of broke it broke my expectation of what like the music world should look like yeah almost was like a giving up and it's like i'm gonna do this anyway right if i never make it i don't really care you know so yeah then uh it balanced out and wor- it worked out to to where i am now which is a lot of comedy a lot of humor i make you know i make jokes and then i also can deep dive and get really serious with people because i'm i'm able to to kind of feel i'm i'm able to connect more with the crowd and like have them help them cast a spell together kind of you know interesting so it helps me read them and, and that I, feedback that you me. get also does that is that kind of part of a healing process for you totally. still to this day oh yeah this is this is the only therapy i can afford <laughs> and they now. pay you isn't and, that amazing well, uh, yeah they do sometimes <laughs> yeah well they pay somebody we're still on it yeah yeah, but, yeah, yeah. hopefully but, some of that trickles back up to you i hope so yeah but you're coming along in a great time because like now cosmic country is a thing it is now but it's been like a thing for you because well it was just it's kind of just about being influenced by psychedelic music but being Mm -hmm. a country singer yeah and it's also the way that it feels where the way i came in like i'm I'm a fan of the grateful dead from way back so that's that was the whole thing Mm -hmm. this cosmic country that's cosmic i mean yeah yeah i mean in like grand parts flying burrito brothers amazing amazing. thank you so much oh my god yeah you're coming to bumber bumber shoot and i was like Oh my God. Yes. yes. <laughs> it was a great crowd. What an awesome. Re- I, I was like, there must be somebody cooler than me that's about to go up. Like, they must be lining up. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. But it was, it was really sweet to see so many people show up for the what set. What stage was it? It was on the KEXP stage. Oh, cool. That's yeah, a was, nice little spot. It was packed. It was so, so sweet to get yeah. to see everybody. And everybody went and got the vinyls. And I think we sold out. <laughs> nice. Which is great. Yeah. I only gave them 10, but like, that felt nice. <laughs> You're not supposed to say the number. I'm kidding. No, I gave more than that, like hundreds or something. Yeah, a thousand. I saw a thousand. I saw a guy with a a hand truck just carting them over there. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's going to scalp them on the streets now. Right. We've arrived. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So this album tells the tale of relationships and Mm kind of where you're at and helps you sort of work through all that that stuff that we all kind of deal with. Addiction to people, addiction to alcohol, addiction to whatever yeah it's and then sort of like it's the ending of an of an era and like by the end allowing myself to release you know release who i thought i was and the versions of myself and those sort of deadly cycles and to finally have it out there how does that what what impact does that have on you after so long you know i when it finally released after all this time (laughs) yeah and the pandemic happened you know I, i started recording it in 2019 and then the pandemic happened and uh, just stopped everything, obviously. Like, but I was able to take the time to really like work on it and finish it, and um, worked construction to kind of get the money to be able to finish the record. Sorry. Yeah, like like remodeling houses. Yeah. 
like you know light duty uh remodels and interior design and everything shit by the way i have had to do so many different jobs just to like scrape by but yeah they call me i'm a, a little macgyver Cass, really castler macgyver <laughs> yeah you need me to fix your truck i'm i'm i'll be here i'll do it <laughs> I, but, I don't have a truck, but I wish I would have brought the one that I don't have. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of fun. I like to have my, I like to know how to do stuff. Cause That's I amazing. can, it's like take care of my damn self, but yeah. But anyway, yeah. we did. You're a survivor. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, you have those they could really skills. use me at Burning Man right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Fuck him. Those poor things. No, I love no, them. No, no. I love them. Bless their heart. Bless their hearts. All <laughs> of them out there in little muddy man. Yeah. But, are you um how is the summer and are you is there more tour in the fall or I'm hoping to do some more stuff in the fall but really actually I'm going to go back and continue to do some interior design projects in the in the bay area I've, I've I just like creating spaces you know and experiences so part of what made kind of brought me into the festival world and like all that was that like you know, I was like shit if I can't if they won't let me on stage I'll just make my own damn stage I'll just make my own thing Sure. You know, I'm like, that's the only way I can do it. So I made that DIY space in Boise and it's like, I'll make my own shows. And then I'm, okay, I'm going to this festival. They won't put me on stage. I'll just make my own stage, a pop-up tent with a bunch of sheepskin rugs and some crystals and hippie shit. And nice. Make my own little thing and invite my little friends to come and sing and play and go around the campfire and help, you know, help, you know, tell stories with people and do, do all of that. And yeah. then eventually they started hearing me and being like, Oh, you should come and do this and that. And you need to create like a traveling tour with a bunch of your friends. And just kind of oh, do well, that that's, thing. that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the, the further, the even further, further <laughs> bus. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Much less acid. So probably <laughs> not my, maybe I, maybe well More for shrimps, me at least. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just hot in life, man. You know, just yeah. this life is pretty trippy. It is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, Cassandra. I really, I'm really glad we got a chance to chat and I laugh know, yeah. and do all the fun things and have Rice Krispie treats. Yes. Oh, I need to finish that. You have such that. an amazing story. And um, I wish you the best of luck, really. Thank you. I mean, um, uh, you know, shit happens and you walk all these kind of different roads and mm -hmm. then you get to do the thing that you're meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is the thing I'm supposed to do. And maybe, you know, if someday it isn't anymore. Then there's a bunch of other stuff I'd like to do. So it's it's kind there of all you right, you know. I eventually I'd really my whole purpose for doing music is so that I can eventually get a farm and and uh, create a co-op, an international cooperative for touring musicians, um, sort of like woofing for artists. And so it's like a a tour circuit that is also a co-op that these artists are able to like sustainably tour these beautiful f venues like farms, all the cool spots, the trippy spots that like need that are like the local, you know, the first place you ever took, you know, mushrooms at farmer, farmer Tom's or something, the cool, yeah. you know, deadhead spot and, or, or the like dreamy hot spring, you know, place. So like or, have a network of different yeah, venues that are like venues nurturing all over the world. And, yeah. and these, these artists are, these indie really artists cool. aren't getting paid in booze and aren't going down this dark spiral of drug addiction and all that. So right. like, that's my actual mission is to create something for them so they can get mental yeah. health resources, you know, healthcare, eat really good well, sustainable so food yeah and then, there are so many different venues that do focus on that yeah. throughout this country and it's just about connecting you could create, them. Yeah, yeah yeah they're already here and so i'm like right. fuck i've seen so many of these and they've been so much more like supportive than like working at the local bar or something for six people that are just yelling that are like you know it's from that snapping moment that like made my mission very clear yeah. and it's not 
you know, I don't really need the super fame or whatever. It's like, I've got, I'm kind of over that, that yeah. idea. But um, that said for people, for the listeners, mm-hmm. like your music is phenomenal. So let's not like put your career to oh, rest just no, yet. No, I wouldn't. It's just started, but I'm like, damn, you can do both. how am I supposed to do you this can now? Do... I feel so old, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. but no, I think it's just, I won't, I won't have as much of the, like the fear around or maybe the, the anxiety of like all the playing in front of a bunch of people. Cause I, I spend my life trying to connect and, and I feel like if it was never ready and it was never time for me before, but it is now. And I've never felt, felt so sure of anything in my life. Fantastic. I love hearing that. Yeah. But That's great. yeah, if you've got a weird trippy venue or farm or anything, send, uh, send me your contact and I'll put you in the list for when we get that co-op started and, uh, we can make some, uh, some, some, upcoming indie artists lives a lot sweeter and, and uh, try to get some grants and help for to like rebuild your farms and fantastic. and your yeah. venues and stuff. Contact Cassandra Lewis immediately. Shameless plug for my nonprofit. Sorry. Very shameless. That's what it all is. <laughs> yeah. It's all shameless. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for being here, Cassandra. It was a really pleasure to get yeah. to know you a little bit. You too. Thank yeah. you so much. Cheers. Y'all stay safe. Always, always. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right That's right. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Okay, that was me chatting with the wonderful Cassandra Lewis. I love her story. I love how she tells it, and I love how she uses it to reflect on her own self and to help her move forward in her own music, as I said in the introduction. I mean, amazing that she started to perform uh, singing when she was eight years old, calling radio stations, trying to book herself into gigs at like retirement homes and such, and even just burned herself out by the time she was 16 and that she felt taken advantage of and then took time off until she was like 25 or uh, 26 while she was still working and exploring and just trying like certain lives uh, to see what fit. And I love that. And I love how she was so open about it. And I, uh, that sense of humor that, you know, she talked about having, you know, have made, she's made great progress and that she has this great humor about the human condition in her own words and how she said she understands the complexities of relationships that allows her to figure, uh, forgive more easily than she used to and how we talked about blame. And, you know, I've had that conversation with my mom about how things that she did in her own life that affected me um, profoundly. And that's tough to do. I don't necessarily blame her because like I've said over and over in this podcast, um, you know, you can only do so much uh, with in the moment. You can only do what you can with what you have at that particular moment in your life. But um, people need to know the impact that they've had on you. And uh, clearly Cassandra has has done that, moved on and used that to make her own life better. Um And I love how uh, she talked about being a storyteller, just kind of moving over to the musical side, of course, uh, that she tried to give people, she tries to give people a hall pass to access those things through her and her own humor. Um, And that she still likes to laugh at the absurdity of life. And that's key of a performer to be able to give your own fans and your own audience that freedom to access things in your, in their own lives that you have as that, that a performer has experienced and can impart on their, um, on their audience. 
that's just wonderful. She's funny. She's sweet. She's charming. I just had a fantastic conversation with her and uh, really enjoyed having her on the show. I look forward uh, to learning more about Cassandra in uh, the coming years and next year she has uh she'll be coming out with some new music in 2024 that i'm really excited about and of course her debut album is out there it's an amazing cosmic country masterpiece uh it is entitled always always and i love it thanks so much to cassandra lewis for sitting down with me at bumbershoot for this uh wonderful interview Next up is Barry Lolly and Keon McCluskey of the Irish band Modern Love. Barry and Keon joined me at Bumbershoot for a really fun conversation with this uh, relatively young Irish band from a small town north of Ireland. These guys have been friends since they were like five years old to hear them talk about it. It's just um, uh, really, really Stunning that they've that they're not only still friends, but they've been making music since uh, when they were about fifteen, when they'd start uh, putting covers together for friends, and that they've been just very close for that amount of time. And uh, they have a really beautiful, fun alt pop vibe to what they do, and are really influenced by eighties band that. Uh, personally, from my own perspective, I just absolutely loved uh, The Cure, New Order, uh, U2, Echo and the Bunnymen, The Smiths, Talking Heads, all bands that we talked about during this interview as being influenced, um, that Modern Love was influenced by. Their latest EP is entitled Nightlife, and they, their latest single that's out is entitled Shades of Blue. They've been included on several different Spotify playlists. They've toured the United States and they tour the UK frequently. They were at South by Southwest and did a number of different US dates back in March significantly. And they will be back in the United States in November to play in Chicago on November 8th, as well as Brooklyn, DC, Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Just affable Irish guys that have a good sense of humor and really fun. We learned a little bit about some Irish slang and uh, they're just really great conversationalists. I'm so glad to be able to bring this interview to you all. Thanks again to Barry and Keon for sitting down with me. I'll be back a little bit uh, after this interview to chat a little bit more about modern love and to bring this episode and Bubbershoot series to a close. But first, here's Barry and Keon of Modern Love. Keen, Barry, welcome to Roadcase. Thanks for having us. Roadcase from Bumbershoot. Yeah. How how do two nice Irish chaps make it to all the way to Seattle? Well, I just went to Greenland and I made a left. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still I, don't know. We, we, we don't know. It's it's a crazy, crazy ride. Just being being in a band. Um, Congratulations, being here. It's yeah, awesome. it's amazing. Have it's, you been to Seattle before? Uh, once uh, played uh, Madame Luz. Yeah, Madame Luz in March. I don't March. know it. I'm from Chicago. Oh right. Yeah. It used to be the Crocodile, where all the like grunge bands played. In like yeah, the late 80s. sounds familiar. And, yeah, uh, they kind of did it up and made it. Right, semi-presentable again. Right, and right. It's really cool. Where so are you touring? You playing U.S. dates? Tell me. We're touring in November. Um, I think we're starting in Chicago and then flying out to uh, just the East Coast. Are you staying out until November? No, you're going. Home. No, no, no. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. have to. We'll have to. Uh, when are you in Chicago? 
I live in Chicago. We're on the 8th of November in not Shuba's, the other one. Uh, Lincoln Hall. Lincoln Hall. Lincoln Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Headlining Lincoln Hall. That's it. Yeah, we Holy did Shuba's in Fantastic. Uh, March. Yeah, they, t- like, they take you up a notch. Yeah, You're doing yeah. well. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we were there on St. Patrick's Day. I think we were there a week before St. Patrick's Day, but they were already celebrating, which is They were they so celebrated for yeah. like the week before <laughs> yeah, and the week of. The river the was already after. green. It was it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How crazy is that? Now, do they make a big deal about St. Patrick's Day in Ireland? It's just a day where you just go out and get drunk. It's not like a. Oh, basically, so like every other day. Pretty much. That's it. Yeah. You just go a bit harder that yeah. day because give it a bit more welly yeah what is get, hold on throw as much slang at me as you want i love li- i love <laughs> I feel, language give it a bit of welly isn't even that like uh, it's, uh, you'd be well, soaking, not for you i've never heard of it barry yeah uh, you'd be you'd be sucking diesel a bit heavier you know? sucking diesel sucking diesel. Suck diesel means you're just going you're going hard and it, yeah. it's not necessarily drinking it's just it's just doing anything just, excessively or just doing anything like well yeah you're sucking very diesel. very well yeah Means that like your car is moving very fast. You're yeah. going, you know that sort of thing. Um, grand, I think is grand. Yeah, uh, it's boring. It, it'll be grand. Sure, it'll be grand. That's kind of that's kind of boring. It's it's kind of what sums up Irish people though. It's kind of the like, boringness or the grandness. There's no, this no, whole thing that me and Barry were talking. It'll about. be grand means it'll be fine. It'll be okay. Oh, okay. The yeah. Irish, the whole country of Ireland lives on this whole thing of, ah, sure, it'll be grand. We'll figure it out. And we never actually do properly. Yeah, no. it's if, if there's I love if the there's self, a, self, just the self-deprecating nature of just yeah. Europeans in general. Yeah, well, Ireland is the it's, best at that. Yeah, yeah we, you can't we, get. I thought best. you were going to just about to correct me on Ireland is not Europe. Oh no, it is. Yeah, no, you're dead right. You um, but Ireland is is the most self-deprecating. I think if if is any it? if any Irish person gets too big for their boots, you got to knock, knock, about them, knock them down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our humor goes very. People think we're being mean to them over here. The way we like make jokes, they're like. Oh, sorry. Did I offend you? And we're like, no, no, we're messing. We're joking. Like, it's not. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, just have curse, you found out like um, different regional differences in that sense of humor and such? I, I think everywhere in America, like America, is so big. Like we forget how big America is because we're from Ireland. It's tiny. You can you can drive the whole distance in like four hours, or you know, the whole length of it. Seriously. Uh, but yeah, yeah no, everywhere. Four and a half, something like that. Yeah, God. everywhere we've been to uh, in America has America's been slightly bigger than that. It's just it's, it's just a, a tiny little bit. Little bit but bigger. like no, it's 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 complete different like countries and just cultures in in one thing. Like Seattle is like just not the same place as. You know, Eugene. Houston, Eugene, <laughs> Eugene in Oregon, but like, yeah. or, or or anywhere like Dallas. It, it's just it's it's baffling that that's the same country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There there are some starker differences. Where are you from in Ireland? We're from just north of Dublin in a town called Drogheda. Okay. Uh, so we, we kind of have the we have like the after effect of Dublin. We're kind of in it a little bit. But yeah. Then we're outside of it enough to be like. Yeah, we're quite a small town. We kind of like scenes, a, yeah, kind know? of like a satellite town. It, it's built up for Ireland. You uh-huh. know, it's a built up area, yeah. but it's still quiet. Yeah, so it doesn't have like the old feel to it. Some streets do, parts but then do yeah. Some yeah. streets do, and then some parts are like the depressing, like early two thousands, just like I don't know, uh, retail parks and stuff. So there's a little bit of like an ancient city center. Yeah, there, there's um, yeah. there's Lawrence's Gate, which is kind of a there's an iconic, like iconic yeah, place. Yeah. yeah, it's like a, an old. Um, it's Millman. This well. guy called Cromwell from England came over and and took Drada <laughs> over, and it's where he first landed in Ireland. Cromwell, Cro- Cromwell, like oh, Drada. Okay. Yeah. He he really he really he really did us bad, did us dirty. Did us Ar- dirty. Ireland as a to- as as a whole, but there's uh, a lot of grudges that are going on. Irish we really need to get into the politics. Fond, yeah, <laughs> right. I, I love yeah. I love English people. I just don't like Cromwell. 
<laughs> I don't think English people like He's not. Uh, yeah. Um, so tell me about Modern Love. Are you guys pals from early on, or from when we were yeah. five, four, and five years old? Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. known yeah, each other. Must really like each other. You must really like each other. You'd think. You'd think that. No. I think we did at the start. Maybe <laughs> it's, it's getting of, worse now. Yeah. The I more think, you're on tour, the more you hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> I think me and Barry have this very. Uh, it's quite a symbiotic relationship. You know, we, we kind of we're we're so physically close to each other all the time. Yeah, and we have been for like. 20 years very physically close very yeah. physically close so modern love's a duo no there's four of us there's, there's four, graham okay. and danny the two well. other guys heard of me and they didn't want to show up they, they yeah they saw we, you we've just away. we've been yeah. spread very thin they have to collect our equipment from from our stage which we didn't realize we had to do but we've oh, been, we, they got oh. the bad job and we got oh the well you're we welcome got, you yeah, got to have a chat and a drink you got to have somebody got to have a danny boy in the band exactly that's it yeah um, so yeah, so tell me, how did this, uh, you guys been playing music for that long together? No, I think we were, me and Keen were just the two kids, uh, in our school that liked the same kind of music, like growing up and were kind of those like alternative kids. You yeah. Know? What was that music? It was kind of like Blink-182, My Chemical Romance, a lot of, you know, uh, Bring me the rise in the music of the time. A lot of, of bands of like we were uh, very into Black Veil Brides. And, oh God! Uh, don't don't tell them that. Breaking Benjamin. You're saying yeah. names I'd never heard of. So oh, really? About it. You don't want to hear. Yeah, them. it's embarrassing. Yeah. But we we did later well, get into like who's really that proud of what they were into? I was into the yeah. Partridge Family when I was five. <laughs> I I think they, I like the Partridge Family. I think. Um, Thank you. I thought it was okay. Yeah, that's no, good. Yeah, but I liked it, Lori on the on keys. <laughs> she was my first crush. Really, I hear that, and I hear a lot of what's the uh, blonde woman from ABBA as well. Oh, I don't know her name. There's uh, Stevie Nicks, bro. Stevie yeah. Nicks. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> so what? Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks. Yeah, that's her. That's yeah, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> the same. same woman. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Uh, eventually, we we had like this idea when we were like ten of like, oh, when we're older, when we're grown ups, we're going to be in a band, and that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be sick. And it was just like that sort of like, it kind of, it actually kind of stopped. For a while, because me and Barry initially went to different, uh, I guess, is it like high schools? High schools in, in Ireland, it's secondary schools. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I met Graham, who's the guitar player in our band. Uh -huh. We started jamming like Van Halen songs and like nice. just Nirvana and Metallica and all this stuff. Yeah. And then we wanted to do Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Right. And we were like, we kind of need a singer. And I was like, well, my mate is around. I'll get him to come down. You weren't really... I knew you could sing, but you weren't like a singer at that stage, yeah, and you I'd... couldn't play the guitar too well, or at, at all. all, at all, yeah. And so I just dragged Barry to this dingy little shed. I reluctantly went because we dragged Barry to the I, shed, took I him was, out to the woods, to the woods. Yeah, I was bored and lonely. I had no, nothing to do. So. And then, wow, like, this yeah. is getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> so when when he came in to practice, then uh, he's I was like to Graham. Oh yeah, I got this guy. He'll sing. Yeah, he's got this he's really, like, really cool guy. I locked him in the woodshed. Yeah, come out and see him. <laughs> he's ready to go. Yeah, and he, I got him to come in and sing. And Barry sat there and didn't sing. I did sing. The mic wasn't turned up enough. <laughs> you guys just played too loud. I was I singing. We're arguing about some of that after what you guys were <laughs> literally like ten years ago. Yeah. Also, the, the most loserly thing about that whole thing was that I had to look up the lyrics for Smells Like Teen Spirit no <laughs> like I knew the song kind of I didn't know the lyrics so I had to like sit there and yeah they couldn't hear me I was kind of shy as well so I wasn't singing that but then oh. from that point then Barry went and uh, got guitar lessons over like a summer yeah. learned how to play the guitar learned how to like 
kind of found his voice. A yeah, bit. when I when I heard you and Graham like smash it up for teacher, I could see the potential. I was like, right, no, we got to take this seriously. I grew up in L.A. Like and Eddie, at some point after they were really well known, he was living up in the uh, in the hills above where I lived. Oh yeah, yeah. I had friend that was a guitar player that was so like enamored with like just such a hyper fan of eddie van halen yeah. he would sit out on the road for like the whole day just waiting for him to drive down the really? driveway <laughs> no way. Yeah. i feel like graham would have been like that as well. he was like van halen out. were la i mean they were world legends but like van halen mm. was a legend in la they kind of created that whole sunset strip scene really didn't they it's kind of um, first. from a rock perspective, yeah, maybe, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, from for who they were at that the time, late 70s, they were the thing, thing that was yeah. happening because they would play like at the whiskey and the Roxy yeah, and yeah. stuff, and like, oh, Eddie, fuck, yeah, Eddie. I wasn't. But you were an Alex fan. I was. I wasn't super into Van Halen. I knew like their big songs, and I knew like I loved Hot for Teacher for that big drum intro. I was like, I have to know oh, yeah. how to yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. That's the coolest thing I've yeah. ever heard. And then when I met Graham, he was all into like. Eddie Van Halen, uh, Jimmy Page, and all these like quite virtuoso guitar players. I uh, like Prince. Prince was a big one. Oh, Graham, yeah. Graham brought Prince to us. And we did you like, ever see Prince? We no. Graham did our guitarist uh, live when he was a kid. But yeah. uh, no, but we we all like fell madly in love with with Prince. Yeah, 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 yeah. When when you guys were playing Van Halen stuff, I was just listening to like Willie Nelson. <laughs> that's still, that's <laughs> cool. cool yeah, yeah. It gives you the the vibe. Tell me about the vibe of the of the music and where that comes from. Well, I think the vibe of our music has nothing to do with Van Halen or it's William Nelson or anywhere no. near there. It's like I, th I think when we got a bit older, um, we like started listening to a lot of like um, like the Cure, New Order, um, a lot of that kind of stuff, and yeah. then Block Party, like a lot of British like indie bands and new romantic sort of bands. Um, and U two was always there, being mm. yeah. Irish. It's it's They're inescapable. Just up there and, yeah. yeah, like yeah. everyone everyone grows up with like just a U2 album playing in their kitchen or in the car with their parents like in Ireland uh, so that was always there and then we kind of that sort of like formed like, yeah I love what it. we started I to play it. and a lot of 80s stuff as well like Prince again and like I think we had this this nice blend of being really into like The Cure and New Order and, and like um, Echo and the Bunnymen and kind of oh, Echo, Echo and the Bunnymen they're, are they Irish? they're English yeah are, I don't know. I don't want to go out and live. British. I just, I just, British, yeah. British. Great British. Great British. <laughs> Great <Yeah>. British. <laughs> I just saw New Order at um at South by Southwest. Were they good? Impressive. Yeah. Really? I mean, I listened to their early stuff in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, they won me over during the really? show. Yeah. yeah. Well, I started Were on the balcony because it's hard to like. I was a fan, but I hadn't seen them live. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was great. It was hard. I liked it better. I, I was up in the balcony because I got there late and you can just like filter in and sit wherever. Yeah, But yeah. then they shut off the floor area because it's like, it's just like people at the conference and then you just go. Yeah, yeah. So then, I don't know, it was, I was I had to leave to go to another show, but then I got down to the floor and it was like, okay, you got me now. I'm in. Yeah, yeah I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. It was great. But I think that, that was kind of, we had this kind of, um, like we were really into a lot of bands like smiths as well and mm. artists like um so like, a lot of those like cool like new romantic bands that were yeah, they, they, they were like talking heads and like talking heads. kind of everything 80s for a very very long time yeah. that was kind of all we listened to and like the yeah i love stuff it from i love 80s. it you're talking like, to my, you're, you're like yeah i was yeah. talking to, i forget who i was talking to today but they were like oh no it was um it was um 
Destroy Boys punk band. Oh yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Destroy. They boys. were on um K- the KXP stage. That's yesterday. Sick, they're very they're good. Like, that might be the yeah, best that's name. A, band that's name a cool. I've ever that's a cool name. Good. But they were like, yeah, we do the seventies, we do the nineties, we do two thousands, but we hate the eighties. I'm like, fuck you. No, yeah. I didn't say that. But come on. <laughs> but there's there's this. I, I became an adult in the eighties. You know, <laughs> it's hard to like to make that decade disappear from a musical standpoint. Well, it's but, so important though. Yeah. Tell me about. When you guys first started gigging around and what that looks like from being in a small town north of Dublin, you know, uh, coming into Dublin, obviously you're seeing shows, you yeah. know, tell yeah. me what that looked like for you guys, I, not only from like a fan perspective, but also from a playing perspective. Well, I, I think when we started off, it was nowhere near like any, like it was so long until it was like a, a fan thing or even a Dublin thing. It was just in our small town with our friends and like we just played the songs that like we liked and our friends liked and like people from the town like just like kings of leon Arctic monkeys mm-hmm. um the strokes a, lo- a lot of that yeah. uh 1975 and stuff like that kind of just the music that we listened to yeah a lot of block party as well uh-huh. and uh a few bummer bicycle songs but we kind of just like played all of the songs that we loved so you were doing covers and yeah yeah because it started when we were like 15 right yeah. so right. it was just like a, a way to make noise with your mates it wasn't yeah. like this thing of like we're gonna be so cool so what, we, yeah, we had our we, own songs as oh well yeah, that's what you're saying what it wasn't a way to like look cool no because we were actually kind of too young to be like we're this cool band we wear leather jackets and this is what you did this is what you felt it was that just like it was like normal to, yeah and, and it was what came naturally it was just obviously oh, we're just, this is what we're doing we're yeah, playing the music because like what else are we yeah. at so know? when did that transition come where you were like playing your own stuff I, who's I th- the writer i think well we all write and we always were right like we did always play our own stuff but we just didn't have enough songs to do a whole set so we always did uh, a lot of covers as well and and we all we all write in the band are, are very invested in like the the creative vision for the band and like uh-huh. um but uh i think when it started being like you know like a, a proper band is when yeah. i, I kind of think just when we wrote enough songs to play our own set did someone tell through. did someone say to you like oh you guys if you want to be if you actually want to do this you're gonna have to come up with your own material or was it like an organic process that all of us you're just playing I, a lot of covers we, and all of a sudden it's like new no, your own music came to I, you and came out of you I, I think like the i think the first i think the reason why we wanted to play like we we jammed covers but the reason that we wanted to like play live was for our original music that we had but it, again it was just the fact that we only had like maybe three of our own songs yeah. to start we, yeah. and we had to play for like an hour or two or whatever so we'd <laughs> play a lot of covers we had right, to. Right, right. but um but no like it was always like the there was always like a lot of i, I think like ambition there like we yeah. we loved playing music and kind of just wanted to play music for fun but there was always like we wanted to like say something or to like express ourselves through it and, i think and when that, we that started we were kind of too young and silly and didn't have enough life experience to write how old are you now uh, 23 uh 24 yeah you know. 25 so Still you didn't have silly. enough oh have enough life experience to write your own material like to, when like, we were like 15 to, like, create. Yeah, yeah yeah who's what are you gonna do like oh the girl doesn't like me down the street. yeah exactly and, and that was kind of all we had that that's what we while. still do though i mean yeah a lot of the time well maybe hopefully in a more sophisticated <laughs> that, yeah yeah like uh, you know uh, we put it more eloquently now for sure yeah you I use think. bigger words yeah <laughs> long, longer words more that's syllables the key to songwriting is just like four is. syllables yeah i i think i think it's i think sometimes it's just like how cleverly you can work the simplest s- idea syllables into a line sometimes you know, it is a, it depends on the vibe i mean there are a lot of yeah. bands that just don't just say what they want to say say like they simply don't sure put, it, just yeah. it, it I, just depends i love even as an exercise like when you come up with a melody like a top line melody like to sing 
and you have like the rhythm of it. Yeah. And so there's already like the notes and the syllables to sing. Is that how usually, is it music first for you guys in general? I I think there's always like a bank of music. Like we're always writing music. That's always there. Like just musical ideas. And like I'd always be like writing like lyrical ideas, like thinking like about how I'm feeling and lyrics that I'd love to put in a song. And then once in a while they'll kind of like match up or like maybe Keen will have like a song that he's working on and like I'll like hear and I'll be like oh that's sick yeah and I'll I'll be thinking in my head like going through like lines and lyrics that I have and be like oh this like this slots in really well like singing this melody over that works really well so it's some and sometimes it works like that and sometimes not where you guys with the national oh oh the national is sick yeah we went to see the national in 2016 they come to Ireland a lot they are that uh yeah, 2016 in a couple of weeks they're playing full high violet at their homecoming festival are in cincinnati really? if you guys are still in the country i, I oh, actually man. remember the first time that i heard of the national or heard one of their songs was keen came over to my house just to hang out when we were like 14 and he was like my dad showed me this like sick song oh, and it awesome. was fake empire by the nice. national yeah, and yeah, we played yeah. that and it was then, a very, just that a very formative moment yeah well, we were like that is oh, it like, also because you were talking sick. about the music and the meeting and the music and lyrics you know they create the music first and they send it to Matt Matt does his magic well, with I, it so I always think that as for a drummer, the most part I think is my understanding yeah because like as a drummer and because I'm a oh, drummer let's talk about the national wow oh man those 16th notes that he plays with his big massive arms just, I don't know how he does it it's unbelievable but I, I think as a, as a drummer and a songwriter like I don't feel like our songs are modern love songs mm-hmm. like i could write a piece of music and go i don't really know what that is and when barry will put vocals on it that's when i think it's like oh it's a modern love oh, song oh, then. interesting you know keen writes a lot of great vocals as well but yeah. I, I mainly like i'm very You're very gracious barry yeah it's uh, very nice to say it's far too nice to me there I had to but the, like i i write very sporadically because i think i i listen to so much different types of music like i could want to be like a folk artist one week or i could want to be making like deep house electronic music the next cool. week or whatever and so i feel like barry can get would get like two or three of my songs and go what do you want me to do with this like this this is ridiculous but then sometimes when when he puts his lyrics over something that that's I've his first reaction it some well he never a- every, says that. every time keen writes a song like, it's like that depression this. of like it's i have like, to oh, create something you know and then it starts coming right but yeah. i i do think i think what you were getting at uh, Keen, is that like when like we and we do listen to everything like all kinds of music between yeah. all of us and so we kind of want to write everything and you can start off from any point like you could start off from like the point of like i want to like write a punk song or like a country like country folk song or right. yeah. crazy electronic one and it starts off so different but once the whole band has worked on it and if i've put like vocals in it after it's gone through the process it of like the whole back band, it gets like then it gets cohesive with the rest of it. It becomes like this one thing that like, no matter how different like the genre is or where mm-hmm. it starts off or what you want to do with it, the fact that it's it's us writing it. It's come that, through all four of us. Yeah, and, yeah. That, yeah. and that we're trying to just write it in a way that is sincere and genuine uh, for us. It just does end up sounding like yeah. one of our songs, like a modern love song and not just like, right. here's a country song, here's a It's not something like consciously song. thought out or anything. It's just yeah. what happens when it comes through everyone. Well, you've properly, you've identified quite clearly and interestingly the process of that that happening. Does it ever become frustrating that you have something that you want to create and, oh, shit, I got to do this and it's the same thing over again and, and then all of a sudden you get to the, you know, it's like kind of that writer's, how am I going to do this? 
it, writer's block does i think writer's block kind of just ha- does happen to us but it's it's yeah. kind of a it's a case where i don't know if, if one of us can't do anything as, as that writer's block and just is uninspired there's there's always three other members of the band yeah. that that will have ideas and will yeah. like jump in on it right. I, I think like Our that that has happened. is actually it's it's not as like terrible and detrimental to the process because when you have writer's block in this band you can kind of just go like I know that they have it yeah they've got it and uh, I'm not worried about like there's no ego within the four of us that right. we have like probably a collective band ego where we right. love what we're right. doing right. but yeah. within the, the process of you. writing yeah where no one is like oh he got yeah. his song yeah. out and no, I didn't it's, it's like the best the best music gets out and, and as well like if you like if I know like when I have maybe a writer's block, I can't write anything that I like or anything that's good or anything that like hits me. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Uh, Keen, Danny, Graham, might like write a song. Uh, they might have the music for it. And as soon as I hear it, I'm just like, my brain's like loaded full of like ideas for vocals. I'll like hear it and be like, I could sing that over oh, so it. It was, just, just like, it was the piece of music. Yeah, like yeah. it's just some something like pops into your head and just like inspires you to like inspire something and you to like write something. Yeah. You yeah. know, or like if I wrote a song and like he might hear it right. and be like, oh, we could do this with it. I yeah. could do this drum or, or like we could do the guitars this way or like yeah. uh, word it this way. Like just it's, right. we're relying on each other, I think, a lot of the time too. So you guys are um, like this, uh, you got your third EP out mm-hmm. entitled Nightlife. Nightlife. Yeah, nice one. Um, and you're touring. What do you? Uh, what's what's your relationship with touring? It's the best and worst part of being <laughs> that's, in a band. That's what we all the best way to, yeah, to describe yeah, it. I mean, yeah, we've only started tough. a proper like recently. I think like last year was the first UK tour that yeah, we we're did. still pretty like novice. You know, yeah, you may be the farthest away from home as a band right now. The yeah, farthest away we've been. Unless you've gone the yeah. other way. Is LA further? I mean, it's, oh, pretty, it's, it's much of a much yeah. West Coast. Yeah. West Coast. Is West Coast. Yeah. Is the yeah. This is as, yeah. as far as we've gone. Right. But uh, um, and, awesome. and this year is the first time we've done it. We were ba- here back in March, and then we're we're here again and, and going on tour again in November. But uh, yeah, like it's as Keen said, it's it's the worst and best thing. It's kind of like we want to like get out there and play for people and and have people hear our music and like people that want to come to our shows and love our music and and share that with them and like play music for people who like really get it and understand yeah. us and like understand and get that's awesome us. that it makes you excited makes it easier to just like keep going yeah yeah right. yeah it's fantastic i, I it's, always it's think as well like not eating well from from being on Sorry. tour oh just like the on tour like not eating yeah well. yeah, yeah. That. but like i i always i think from being on tour with like my best mates i don't know how you could do it with like lads you don't like that much oh yeah i don't sure. know how bands i don't think that you do but like the, you hear of you like bands who like hate each other, but they're really big. It's like, how did you get this far? I would have killed you like years ago when we were in this tiny van. <laughs> would have pushed you off the ferry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how to do it. Right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. This is about the process and where you guys are at. And like, I'm I'm totally looking forward to seeing your show. November what at November Shuba, uh, Lincoln 8th. Hall? November, November 8th, 8th in Lincoln, Lincoln Hall. Hall. I think. It's the first, first uh, U.S. day. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, first US day. Yeah, yeah, first one. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, we'll go drink a Guinness together down the street. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely yeah. Sound good? Yeah. Sounds great. Cool. Thanks for being here, you guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us. It was us, really man. so much fun. Appreciate it. Fun. Good luck. Thank Cheers. You. Cheers. Okay, that was Barry Lolly and Keon McCluskey of Modern Love. My new friends from Ireland, I just loved chatting with those guys. Uh, they just, they're fun, they're super passionate. 
they love to explore what it means to be uh, to write music. And this whole angle of them having been together and known each other since they were five years old is just absolutely amazing. I, I totally love it. Uh, I love their alt pop vibe. Um, you know, I don't really dabble a lot in pop music, but then there's pop bands that listen to music that I listened to and were influenced by those. I'm not saying that that's a negative thing at all. Um, everyone's influenced. All musicians are influenced by somebody, but they're, you know, they listen to The Cure, New Order, Echo and the Bunnymen, Smith's Talking Heads, like I said at the top, um, and they have their own amazing brand of alt pop and they are just absolutely just off the charts popular at this point um they've been on a couple different spotify charts they're touring the uk uh they're coming back to the united states in november they'll be uh notably they start off that tour in lincoln hall on november 8th in chicago uh prior to that they'll also be in october they're touring the uk and then they're also touring at the end of october and into the beginning of november also in europe hamburg Berlin, Paris, just absolutely uh, amazing. These guys are on a tear. Can't wait to see their show. Their 30P is out, Nightlife, and they've got a their latest single, Shades of Blue, is out as well. Please go give these guys a listen. They're just wonderful dudes, and I really wish them the best of luck. Thanks again to Barry and Keon for sitting down with me at their first Bumber shoot. So this concludes the Bumbershoot series of in-person interviews and concludes this season of Roadcase, which has been a whirlwind this summer of in-person interviews from festivals across the country. I'm so glad to have been able to bring to sit down with those amazing artists and bring those interviews to you, you listeners. Uh, so happy to be able to have done that. Thanks so much for your support along the way. Um, I am so happy to have such an amazing, dedicated audience of music lovers, live music lovers and listeners of Roadcase. Thanks so much for being here. We'll be taking a couple week break and we'll be coming back with a new season of Spectacular Artists again to bring interviews to you all. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but you guys will just love the artists that I'm going to bring to Roadcase. Uh, really happy to have been here for these episodes. So glad to have had you along for this ride throughout this summer festival season. Thanks so much for being here and for your support. I want to thank all the artists on this last episode from Bumbershoot, George Gekas of George Gekas, excuse me, of the Revivalists, the amazing cosmic country artist Cassandra Lewis and Barry Lolly and Keon McCluskey of Modern Love. Thanks again to all of you for being here, and I'll see you on the next episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. 
And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>